Hey, everyone. If you were recently interviewed by Ronan Farrow, you'll love today's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's by John Ronson. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and I've got a bad cold, so I'm dangerous at both of those things right now. <laughs> and I'm healthy David Vance. I've been. <laughs> that sounds like such a desperate way to introduce yourself to women. <laughs> So You've Been Publicly Shamed covers people who were shamed by millions on the internet for one stupid decision. Because Kellen and I want to know how we can get that kind of exposure. And this is The Book Pile. All right, quick reminder, if you rate and review The Book Pile today, we promise not to dredge up your old tweets. <laughs> Listener TX Treadmill says... The book pile is like adding milk to your scrambled eggs. Ultimately, it doesn't change the flavor of your favorite books, but definitely makes you feel like you're getting a lot more out of them. That's really nice. I mean, you always see them that way. <laughs> All right, and without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's hard to say that title because I sound like I'm auditioning with a line. <laughs> so... You've been publicly shamed. <laughs> that does sound like a game show that's fun for almost everyone and horrifying for one person. So you... <laughs> All right. Lesson one. The two solutions to public shame are time and quitting Twitter. <laughs> so if you've ever been shamed on social media and it's minor, like something that I caught flack for a few years ago that I'll bring up during the random facts portion of this episode, then the only thing you could really do is let time handle it. In an episode of Rick and Morty, at one point, Jerry makes some mistakes that lead him to be humiliated literally across the galaxy. <laughs> and I love what his wife, Beth, says. She goes, you can't make people like you. You just have to wait for hating you to bore them. Oh my gosh. That's so deep and so sad. Though <laughs> so eventually some people with minor offenses are able to reconstruct a life once the negative Google searches of their names are buried enough. And Ronson even writes about companies that provide these services to hide such results. Um, though that that can be sticky too, because sometimes they hide the wrong people. Like to me, if it's a repentant criminal who robbed a store when they were sixteen and still can't get a job at forty five, that's it's a good service. But apparently, there are also plenty of tax evaders willing to pay for a clean slate. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> there was one of those people in the book using the service as he writes about her using it in a soon-to-be huge book. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's that's the story of Lindsay Stone, and it's almost like you hope that his book doesn't really take off. <laughs> uh -huh. It would just undo everything he did for her, because Lindsay Stone is this girl who took a disrespectful photo of her like pretending to yell next to a soldier's tomb that had a quiet sign. She posted it to Facebook and then just lost everything when the public crew fighter as an anti-military activist. But eventually she was able to get work again at this daycare for autistic kids as Ronson was able to get her search results buried. And then again, published a book about her. <laughs> yeah, he could have changed her name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lesson two. Before you shame, just think about it. Which I know sounds hypocritical with how much fun we make of Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's cool. We dehumanize her first. So 
A, a quick quote from the book. He says, I no longer take part in the ecstatic public condemnation of people unless they've committed a transgression that has an actual victim, and even then, not as much as I probably should. I miss the fun a little, but it feels like when I became a vegetarian. I miss the steak, but I could no longer ignore the slaughterhouse. By the way, my friend Natalie wrote a sketch where a restaurant only serves meat from animals who were evil. (laughs) So... A thing to remember with public shaming is you almost never know the full story, which is why anytime a powerful man does something bad, I always forgive him. (laughs) So I actually have a friend who's been publicly shamed to the point of having to sell his house, uproot his family. And there were all these news stories that left out a key detail and leaving it out makes it look really bad. Plus, then some stories just straight up lied and got the facts wrong to the point where he'd probably have a legal case with those papers if he wanted to go through hell a little longer. Oh, man. But hundreds of commenters who don't know they don't know the full story got online and just made wild accusations. They said he's a drug addict or a fraud or just greedy or a sociopath, which means they listened to our episode, which is very cool. And I asked him about it, and he said, it's like stepping on a landmine. You go along and take a step that feels just as innocent as any step you've taken before, but this one blows your leg and face off. Oh, man. So with that said, the flip side, do you remember the white woman in Central Park who told the police a black man assaulted her when really he just asked her to put her dog on a leash? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, assault. (laughs) So she got caught because he videotaped her, and it went viral, and she lost her job. And my roommate Stacy is also black, and he pointed out, look, if you're in a disadvantaged community and public opinion is your only weapon, hopefully that creates a deterrent effect where before someone tries to attack a black person, they stop and think, oh, I don't want to lose my job. So I don't know exactly what the right balance is, but I, I would at least say, you know, just try to think before you shame. There's that quote they use on Ted Lasso that I really like, be curious, not judgmental. Although, wouldn't a great children's character be Judgmental George? (laughs) Wait, was your friend uh, that Star Wars kid on YouTube in 2009? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) And were were the lies that he wasn't a real Jedi? That poor kid. He also had to move. I think about that too with Rebecca Black. What did Rebecca Black ever do to any one of us? (laughs) Other than every Friday getting that song stuck in my head. <laughs> She's just just great at marketing days of the week. The only person who I'm okay with being publicly shamed in that circumstance is that 28-year-old rapper who agreed to be in the video. <laughs> like, come on, man. But he was, no one went after him. They all went after the child. <laughs> Yeah, no no one judges the guy with the fully developed hippocampus. <laughs> you had in the video an adult rapper. It was paid for by her adult parents. It was produced by adults. And everyone was like, you know who should be endlessly mocked for this? <laughs> and so that's why, yeah, I'm hesitant to be absolutist about this too, that p- public shaming shouldn't happen. It's almost like shaming is 95% bad. (laughs) I would throw out there, too, that I'm also very fine with, like, Epstein and Cosby being shamed. Powerful people have hurt people, are maybe still hurting people, 
and you can use shame to mobilize people to make sure that it stops. The imbalance that I see is that Cosby never being able to work again makes sense because he hurts so many people. But a guy who throws some plagiarism into a book because he's trying to make it as a hot new writer, I just don't think that that guy's face should end up, you know, on the same newspaper page. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I just remembered this last year. I grew up in a pretty small town. And when I was in high school, I was on the front page of the newspaper for something. And a few months ago, I was showing the picture to my girlfriend because we we kept the newspaper. And only in showing it to her did I remember that a bunch of sex offenders were also on the front page right next to me that day. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. Lesson three. Public apologies don't work. So I think the phrase publicly shamed is uh, a much better phrase than canceled, which is much more common uh, at this point. But to me, cancel has sort of a detached sound to it, like you're clicking Mm. out of a Hulu subscription. So Ronson tells the story of this journalist, Jonah Lear, who just straight up made up parts of a book on creativity, specifically when he was quoting Bob Dylan. And when his fabrication was revealed, he lost everything, his job, his reputation, his respect. But then he tried to make a public apology in the worst situation possible, (laughs) which was at a televised dinner where the audience and Jonah were shown real-time reactions from Twitter on a giant screen next to him. (laughs) I don't know about you... (laughs) But I have certain (laughs) things in my public speech contract, (laughs) and one of them is to not be heckled anonymously by one million people while I am talking. Yeah, how did he think that was going to (laughs) go? You know, in like Middle Age or Renaissance times when people would throw tomatoes at the performer, Mm -hmm. I always think about how they had to bring the tomatoes. Just in case. They had to expect to be disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, how about the poor people who were also uncoordinated so they didn't get anything out of it? (laughs) You bring your one fresh cabbage and then you miss. (laughs) So among hundreds of other things, the types of comments that were popping up during his apology were a friggin' sociopath. He's passing the buck. And to me, this next one describes the current unforgivable view that cancel culture perpetuates. Quote, the only way he can redeem himself is to do totally different work. He is tainted as a writer. And this is what blows me away, is that I am absolutely a proponent of artists being accountable for Mm -hmm. stealing or plagiarism or fabrication. Um, This is not the way to do it. And I just don't like this current trend of the, uh, you know, the irredeemability of of a single mistake. I talked to a friend who works in PR and I was talking to him about 
the way people handle these kinds of crises. And he said, you never apologize because the people yelling most loudly for your apology in those situations are the ones who will only use it as ammunition to prove your wrongdoing. Yeah, that's what's backwards about this whole thing is that, yeah, the people who call for it, they don't want it. Well, they do, but they don't want it in a redeeming way, right? (laughs) Right, yeah. And so it doesn't mean that the person who made the error shouldn't feel remorse But for some reason in social media culture, it just isn't effective. To me, one of the key differences between this Jonah Lear situation and actual social justice is that there seems to be a certain glee around these well-worded tweets. Oh, sure. Bringing actual social criminals to justice is grueling work, you know, performed by disgusted people. But in this situation, they were just idiots on their couches feeling anonymously powerful. You know, back in the day when they would stone people, imagine if you're part of that group and you can A, convince yourself that the person is subhuman in some way, and B, imagine that if you threw a stone really well, you got 30 likes. (laughs) Oh, I will say another thing that made his apology substandard was that everyone was criticizing him for being a plagiarist and grifter. And then he gave an apology speech where he got paid (laughs) (laughs) $20,000. All right, lesson four. The connected age makes things weird. So picture you live 100 years ago in the 1920s. The population's about 2 billion people. That is so many people that no matter who you are, there are millions of people who, if they met you, they would hate you, no matter who you are. (laughs) All right, fast forward to today. Same thing, but the difference is now they can all find each other and you. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, we've always shamed other people, but unlike when we were small tribes in the Pleistocene, now millions of people can shame strangers over nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, I love Twitter, but it's also a site where everyone's just trying to eat each other. (laughs) (laughs) There's that famous tweet, each day on Twitter, there is one main character. The goal is to never be it. (laughs) (laughs) all right random facts so at one point he learns about a shame eradication workshop and apparently one of the students there admits to being a murderer and two people admit to bestiality and i'm like i don't want those people to eradicate their shame (laughs) yeah (laughs) like imagine ted bundy reading Brene brown and being like you know she's right i gotta let all this toxic shame go That idea of radical candor, I don't think it's a good thing. And I know someone who practices it. Are they a jerk? They're not a jerk, but they've said things that you just wouldn't say. I, I think that a mistake, an error that people make who, who use radical candor is that you don't always have to talk. <laughs> like you don't have to lie, but you also can keep things to yourself. And I I appreciate that the author, he went to those meetings sort of in search for an answer to how how can people recover from being shamed. And I I appreciated that he he said something like, the meetings uh, of radical candor just seem like a bunch of angry people yelling at each other. (laughs) (laughs) It does seem like sometimes when people call themselves a straight shooter, it's just a way of laundering being a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I would love to be that person who gets protected by their friends. Like when they meet someone that they don't know that well, they can be rude to them because then their friends can go up to that uh, person who was harassed by me, the jerk, and they can say, uh, you know, don't mind Callan. He just, he doesn't have a filter. That's how he shows that he likes you. You know that? <laughs> Like, I think you can just not be a jerk to people. <laughs> Another good way of showing you like them. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this was fascinating. No matter how, what your feelings are on Ralph Nader, he was instrumental in making seatbelt wearing, you know, a, a regulation. While he was in the middle of working on that project, GM tried to entrap him by having women follow him into different stores and restaurants to proposition him to try and start some blackmail, you know, with shameful wow. activity. And uh, wow. he didn't fall for it. And now we wear seatbelts. <laughs> Isn't it crazy that GM can just use a mafia tactic and we're still just like buying GM. I mean, we don't buy GMs, but they're still around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's bonkers to me. And it was all because they thought that people wouldn't like their cars as much <laughs> if they had to strap themselves <laughs> in. In the book, he mentions how during this time, this was in like, this was in the 1960s, the style trend in cars was like hard lines and pointy ridges. <laughs> But then the friends of the GM cars would walk up to people and quietly be like, the car likes you. That's why it kills you. <laughs> so there's a cool Nietzsche quote about criticism. He says, insects sting not for malice, but because they want to live. It is the same with critics. They desire our blood, not our pain. Huh. I read an interview with the author where he's talking about his egotism, and he had this time where there was an eclipse, and he didn't know about it, but everyone else did. And he said, I suddenly realized the only way I would have known there was an eclipse was if it had been mentioned in one of my book reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so... Here's a story about how I was once mildly publicly shamed on Twitter. Maybe four years ago, I got invited to perform on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And it was from this bit that I did at the end of my dry bar special where I have my phone read a bunch of my one-liners. So within the context of doing 45 minutes of stand-up, it works to then have my phone do the last two minutes. Um, but when I did Kimmel, I only did the part where my phone reads my jokes, which confused the audience, especially the viewing audience, when it eventually aired. There are a couple things that, that I wish I could explain to everyone. And the first one is <laughs> they don't mix the sound well. And it's not just me. You can watch comics like Dusty Slay, who routinely kill. The audience sounds distant. And you can tell because after each of my jokes, it looks like I wait way too long to start the next <laughs> joke. Like, you guys should have enjoyed that more. So what happens now is that if you just watch that set, it looks like I don't tell my own jokes. 
and I did not consider that part of it. Every other time I'd ever performed this was when I had done tons of stand-up before it. But when I just get up there and start having my phone, like people who had never seen me thought that I was just this lame comic who had Siri telling jokes for me. Like that was my whole act. So that's when the onslaught came on Twitter. I was so excited for it <laughs> to come out because I thought that it was a sort of new, unusual thing. But then that mixed with the fact that it, it looks like I'm also bombing, even though I had a decent set. The end of this story is that the day after my Kimmel spot ended up on TV, I literally was losing my voice and I was on my way to the Dead Crow Comedy Club in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I spend the day traveling and reading terrible tweets about myself. And then that night, I had to whisper my whole set to this crowd. It's like the oh, universe gosh. was saying, if you're not going <laughs> to use your own voice to say your jokes, and you don't get one at all. <laughs> So all this being said, if you want to check out this video with this new context, at least do me the favor after you watch it and click on another video of me twice afterwards, <laughs> just to keep that Kimmel clip down in the searches. <laughs> all right, to recap, our favorite lessons from So You've Been Publicly Shamed. One, the two solutions to public shame are time and quitting Twitter. Two, before you shame, just think about it. Three, public apologies don't work. Four, the connected age makes things weird. And five, when you get the chance to appear on Jimmy Kimmel, don't. <laughs>